Thank you, Emily. Emily's been with us the last two weeks. Chad's been on vacation, and thank you for leading us and to worship. So last summer, uh, a group of us went to Malawi, where we spent some time uh, ministering with Kellen and Becca and learning about their ministry, and it was great. And so I think uh, us, especially who were there with Kellen, just feeling heavy-hearted hearing the, this news. But as part of the trip, we, we took a couple people and we left them there. They didn't come back with us, and, but they're here with us today. They, they took a year and two years, right? Are you going back? Okay, they're going back. But they're here for the summer. Uh, they were in Malawi teaching at African Bible College with Kellen and Becca. And so Beth King and Sammy Case are here with us this morning. So get a chance to say hi to them. Uh, so we're look, going through the Lord's Prayer, so if you would, uh, let's pray the Lord's Prayer out loud together. It'll be up on the screen, so you can remain seated, but let's, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Lord's Prayer instructs us in both how uh, we're to approach God and what we're to ask of God. We approach God as our Father in heaven. He's our Father. He loves us. He wants what's best for us. And He's available to us. He's there for us. We can go to Him in prayer. We can draw near to Him day or night. And He's in heaven. He's the sovereign Lord over all. He's all-powerful creator and ruler and sustainer of the universe. And He's the, uh, the ruler and sustainer of our lives. So when we pray, we know we're addressing one who has both the love and the power to answer our requests in the ways that are best for us. And what are uh, we to request of Him? Well, Jesus gives us six petitions, six, six prayer requests, if you will. The first three relate specifically to God. We've looked at the first two already. Let me summarize. First, we're to pray for God's name. Hallowed be your name. We're asking that God's name, His, His reputation be kept holy. That His name be honored and revered and glorified in our lives and throughout the world. And second... We're to pray for God's kingdom. Uh, your kingdom come. We're asking that God's kingdom, His rule and His reign, come into our lives, into our hearts, that we will submit to His authority, that we'll obey Him as our King. And we're also praying that God's kingdom will come uh, to the lives of others, that in our world people rep will repent and they'll turn to Christ, that they'll believe in Him and give their lives to Him, that they'll submit to His authority. So, so we've looked at the first two petitions that we're to make of our Father in heaven. Hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come. And today we come to the third petition concerning God. Jesus instructs us to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's begin by looking at the meaning of God's will be done. The meaning of God's will be done. So over the past two weeks, we've discussed in some detail what it means for God's name to be hallowed, what it means for God's kingdom to come. 
But when it comes to God's will being done, that seems a little bit more straightforward, right? God's will refers to what God wants, what God desires uh, to happen. And Jesus adds that we're to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, implying that in heaven, God's will is done to perfection, that the heavenly beings, the angels, carry out God's will perfectly. They obey flawlessly. Whereas on earth, God's will is, is not being accomplished in the same way. Therefore, we're to pray that what God wants to happen on earth will happen like it does in heaven. Now that seems pretty straightforward. But it also raises an important question. That is, if God is who we believe Him to be, if, if, who, if He's who we've been talking about, uh, maybe even especially last week when we talked about His kingdom, and that He's the King of all, the Lord of lords, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and He's, as the Bible teaches, the all-powerful. There is nothing He cannot do. The all-sovereign, the all-knowing ruler of heaven and earth. Then how is it possible for His will not to be done on earth as it is in heaven? If God is all-powerful, sovereign ruler of heaven and earth, why isn't His will being accomplished on earth as it is in heaven? Or is it? Why do we need to pray, your will be done? Well, let's see if we can answer that question. And to do that, we need to know that in the Bible, there are two different ways to understand the meaning of God's will. First, At times, the authors of Scripture are referring to what uh, theologians call God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will. This is the sovereign, unchanging plan or will of God. This is what God, as the all-powerful King of the universe, decrees will happen. This is the will of God that cannot and will not be changed. This is the will of God that the psalmist is referring to when he writes, whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps, God does as He pleases throughout all creation. His sovereign will cannot be thwarted. It cannot be changed. It cannot be resisted. And one of the clearest examples of this is seen in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Before the foundations of the earth, God decreed, that the crucifixion would take place. It was part of His sovereign, unchanging plan. Over 700 years before the crucifixion, speaking of the coming Messiah, the prophet Isaiah wrote, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. And Jesus understood this. We see it in His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before His crucifixion. As He faced the reality of of death on a cross, as He faced the reality of, of dying for your sins and for my sins, as He thought about experiencing the wrath of God that would come upon Him, the wrath that we deserved but He would take, as He dreaded that, that moment of separation, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, that separation that had never taken place in all of time memorial between Himself and His Father. In Matthew 26.39, Jesus prays, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will. Jesus made His request. He expressed His desire. There was clearly part of Him that did not want to face the cross. 
But in his prayer, he included, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus willingly submitted himself to to God's sovereign will. And he went to the cross. And he was crucified according to the will of God. And in, in the crucifixion, we discover something important about God's sovereign will. Something that helps us understand why there is a sense in which God is not be, God's will is not being done. We see it in Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. Reflecting on the crucifixion, uh, the, the, the believers are gathered together and they're praying. And, and part of their prayer, they say, For truly in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was in the sovereign will of God. It was under God's hand. Uh, God predestined it to take place. He set it into motion. He made sure it happened. But in these verses, don't miss the fact that God's sovereign will included human sin. Herod, if you've read the story, if you've seen the movie of Jesus, Herod, very unrighteous guy. Pilate, you know, just... I washed my hands of this, but then he gave in. The soldiers who actually killed him, the Jews who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. They all sinned in fulfilling God's will that his son be crucified. So, So to be very clear, that for God's sovereign will to come to pass, some things that God hates, some things that in one sense are not his will, can also take place. Here's another example from 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 3.17, Peter writes, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. In other words, it can be God's will that Christians suffer for doing good. It's pretty clear. Peter's speaking here of specifically of persecution. Persecution for your faith. But the persecution of Christians who do not deserve it is sin. Imprisoning, torturing, or killing innocent people is sin. And in one sense, these things are clearly not part of God's will. So again, God can will that something takes place which includes something He hates. Is this sinking in? I know this is a little... Woohoo! Okay. Maybe... Maybe this will help. Paul summarizes this truth, Ephesians 1.11. He writes, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is at work right now in our lives, making sure that his sovereign will comes to pass. He works all things including natural disasters, including accidents, including human sin, including things he hates. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. He is sovereign over all. There are many other passages in the Bible that teach us that God controls all things. That his control extends to the smallest details of nature. 
and of human decisions. Matthew 10.29, Jesus said, Are not two sparrows, I mean the small little bird sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In Proverbs 16.33, we read, The lot is cast into the lap, but it, it is every decision, but its every decision is from the Lord. And Daniel says it well. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? There's nothing in heaven and on earth outside the control of God. His sovereign will always comes to pass. And sometimes... As in the case of Jesus' death, as in the case of the persecution of Christians, and probably there are many other examples even today in our lives, His sovereign will includes what He hates, specifically the sins of, of human beings. Or we could say this, there are times when God's sovereign will includes the violation of His moral will. That's the second way Scripture refers to God's will, God's moral will. This is the will that God in His Word has commanded us to follow. This is what God decrees is right and just and moral and good. God's sovereign will is outside of our hands. We, everyone, does God's sovereign will. We're part of God's sovereign plan. Whether we believe in God or not. Whether we know it or not. In terms of the crucifixion of Christ, Herod and Pilate and others were subject to the sovereign will of God. While at the same time, they were violating the moral will of God. They were killing a man. God's moral will, the, the, the things He commands us to do, is something we can choose to follow or not. For example, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because not all do the moral will of God. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Here here we have a, a very specific instance of what God's will is. God wills holiness. God wills sanctification. He wills sexual purity. He's opposed to, he hates sexual immorality. This is God's moral will. It's the right thing to do. But oh, so many do not do it. Our culture is a testimony to the fact that many reject, they do not follow the will of God in this area. Another example, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul writes, Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's the will of God for you and for me to give thanks in all circumstances. Specific aspect of God's moral will. He commands us to give thanks in all circumstances. He commands us to our heart to be thankful. How, how do we even do that? Well, we could talk about that, but that's not where we're, where we're talking. <laughs> that's, that's not where we're going. Because many, including myself, do not always do this will. I do not always rejoice in my circumstances. I sometimes grumble and complain. I violate the moral will of God when I complain about my circumstances. One final example. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
Not all abide forever. Some do, some don't. The difference, some do the will of God, some don't. The will of God, in this sense, does not always happen. So I hope, I hope you can see that the Bible uses the phrase, the will of God, in two different ways. Both are true, and both are important to understand and believe in. One we call God's sovereign will, and the other we call God's moral will. His sovereign will will always come to pass, whether we believe it or not. His moral will can and is not followed in every way. Now let me say this, his, moral, his sovereign will is over all things. Even the violation of his moral will. There are times when God's sovereign will includes the violation of his moral will, as in the death of Jesus Christ. Now I understand, just so you know, I understand that this is, this is the first time you're hearing of, of these things, maybe uh, these concepts, you're not quite, they're not quite sinking in. I may have raised more questions than I've answered, and sometimes that's okay. Maybe it'll get you coming back, get you thinking more. Maybe it'll get you to buy a book to, to read more about God's sovereign will, God's moral will. But the thing I want us to see, maybe, maybe you're even asking the question, uh, so th- that was kind of a theological stuff, kind of out there big. So I want to bring it down. I want to say, but why does this matter? Why does this matter? I was listening to Alistair Begg uh, the other day, and he said, he said, I don't know if he was preaching to pastors or whatever, but he said, if you're a pastor, and, and the thing that needs to be above your uh, desk are these two words, so what? Whatever you're telling people, you have to, so what? Why does it matter? And so I want to tell you why, why this matters, and I think it matters a ton. Let me just take a few minutes to see how important these, these, if you want, theological truths about God's will are. They're more than just interesting theological ideas. As we'll see when we get to the second part, number two of our outline, just so you know, I had three and I had to cut one out unless you guys wanted to stay another while. The, the first two got out of control. These truths have great ramifications, though, for our praying. If we're going to pray, thy will be done, we need to know what, what we're praying about. And they also have great ramifications in our daily lives. They're precious and they're crucial for our understanding of who God is and how He works in our lives. Let me again point out these two realities that are both in the Bible. First, an example of God's moral will found in maybe the, the banner for God's moral will, the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20.13 God says, you shall not murder. It's God's will that we do not murder anyone. Second, the example we've talked about of God's sovereign will, uh, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Speaking of Jesus Christ. God ordained, he willed that his son be murdered. God sovereignly willed a violation of his moral will. Those two things are in the Bible and those two things are in our lives. We experience pain and loss because God's moral will is violated. But at the same time, we can experience comfort and healing knowing that God is sovereign. He's sovereign over all things, including our pain and our loss. Let me illustrate this with a very uh, very horrible, if you will, painful violation of God's moral will. Suppose 
uh, you were sexually abused as a child and it's caused you difficulty for many years. And now someone is counseling you and helping you work through the implications of this violation. And they ask you, do you think this violation was the will of God? I don't know how you have answered before, but, but now I hope you can see a, a biblical way to answer that question, a way that not only corresponds to the reality of God's Word, but also to the deep longings of our soul. When faced with such a situation, you need to know that God hates what happened to you. You need to know that when He was looking down at that violation, He was saying, don't do that. That's not my will. I command you not to do that, and I, and I will judge the one who's doing it. So first, you need to know that God is right there disapproving of the violation of His moral will. But secondly, you also need to know that God is sovereign over all things. That God has the power to turn everything around. That even a severe violation of His moral will against you can be turned around to your glorious and everlasting good. We need to believe both of these if we're going to understand and survive the pain of this world. You see, the problem is, people often want to talk about uh, God's sovereign will, His sovereign control over all things in moments of crisis. In moments when His moral will is being violated. We say things like, if God loved me, He wouldn't allow this, this terrible violation to happen. If He loved me, He would sovereignly intervene. He would stop the violation of His moral will. And so we, in our human wisdom, conclude that God either isn't there or He doesn't really care. And by doing so, we, we push the true God, who is there and who does care, out of our lives. And then we're left with no God to help. We're, we're left with no God to help us deal with the difficulty of the violations that occur in our lives. We have no God to turn our tragedy into triumph. Therefore, instead of pushing Him away... In these times of tragedy, of violation of sin, we need to embrace all of who He is. We need to embrace the God who hates the violation, the sin against us, and we need to embrace the God that can sovereignly work everything, including that violation, for our good. You see, if we believe that there's no sense in which the sovereign God willed this violation then we'll lose the reality of who God is. We'll reject God, or, or we'll invent some weaker, inferior God, some God who really isn't quite totally in control. Because if He was really quite totally in control, this would have never happened to me. But if we embrace the God who both hates the violation, but is also sovereign over all things, then we can experience His comfort and His healing and His compassion. We can, uh, dare I say this, allow Him to use even the violation, even the sin against us to transform us in ways we could have never experienced without the violation. That's how powerful God is. He, he can and He does work all things, even moral violations of His will to transform us in ways that are good for us. He can work all things together for our good. All 
things together for our good. Now, most of us haven't experienced sexual abuse. But we all experience some kind of violation that comes from living in this fallen world. We experience loss and we experience disease. We experience the death of loved ones. We experience relational conflict. We experience marital strife, financial difficulty, crime, the effects of it. Experience lying and cheating and stealing. We experience all of these things. We're all experiencing something. And we need two things. First, we need a God who hates sin and can empathize with us. Can say, I, I see that and I hate it. I hate it more than you hate it. I'm holy and righteous and I hate sin. And second, we need a God who is totally sovereign and in control of all things. So that even sin or any kind of difficulty, any kind of pain or loss... We can know He can use it for His good purposes in our lives. He can use it that we might rise up above our circumstances, that we might become all that God wants us to be in spite of, or even because of sin, difficulty, and loss. So I hope you better understand what it, what it means for God's will to be done. Maybe you don't. Maybe I've just muddled it all up. That's the case, well then, maybe there'll be some clarity when we start uh, thinking about praying for His will. I hope these truths, though, help you to deal with all the sin and the sorrow uh, of this fallen world. And most of all, I, I hope these truths cause you to seek God in greater ways. To come to Him and to pray to Him, Your will be done. So let's turn to the manner of praying for God's will. Now you might ask, uh, when we pray, your will be done on earth as in heaven, which will uh, are we or should we be praying for? Should we pray for God's sovereign will, His, His control over all things, or is God's moral will uh, what God's decrees to be right and just and good? And I would say, yes. We should pray for both, but in different ways. Let me explain. First, by looking at praying for God's sovereign will. Praying for God's sovereign will. That's point A in your notes. Now, you might think that there's no need to pray for God's sovereign, unchanging will, right? And in one sense, you'd be right. There's no need to pray for God to do what He has sovereignly decreed to accomplish. We don't need to go through the Bible and look for uh, His promises and pray those promises become true because He sovereignly decreed that they will take place. Our prayers will not change God's sovereign plan. However, there's another sense in which we must pray, uh, your sovereign will be done. We've seen already an example of this. An example given by Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. As the reality of His crucifixion set in, as He drew close to taking on the sins of humanity, Jesus again, let's read, Jesus prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will. Your will be done. Jesus made His requests. Let this cup, uh, this cup of the cross, pass from Me. But he added, not as I will, but as you will, Father. 
Jesus submitted His desires, His requests, His prayers to the sovereign will of God. And we have to do the same. That's why I believe that whenever we pray, that the words we say, or at least the attitude we carry in our heart, should always include, not my will, but yours be done. This is a a prayer of great faith, really. It says, Father, I boldly come to you with my requests. This is what I truly desire. This is what I I want you to do. And you've said, I have not because I ask not. And so I come to you and and I pray and I ask for these things. But I trust you more than I trust me. I trust that you love me. I trust that you want what's best for me. And I know, and that you know better than I do. Your sovereign will be done in my life or or in the life of the person I'm praying for. So earlier we prayed, uh, we prayed for Kellen. We prayed for his family. We prayed, we, we prayed earlier in the week, we prayed that this evacuation would take place, and it did. We've been praying for Chuck and Becky and Rebecca and the kids. We've been praying for wisdom for the, for the doctors. But most of all, we've been praying, and we continue to pray for the complete healing and recovery of Kellen. That's what we all want. And we know it's right to pray this. God's Word teaches, If anyone among you is sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We can't physically be with Kellen. We can't anoint him with oil as the elders of this church. But we can and we should pray for him. Pray against the sickness that he has. But when we pray, we're not aware of everything that God is doing. We don't know what God's sovereign plan is for Kellen, for Rebecca, for their kids, for their family. And so in our prayers, we acknowledge that we have limited perspective. When we say, your will be done, we're acknowledging that God, what God declares through the prophet Isaiah, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That word higher also means exalted or or better. God's thoughts, God's ways are higher and they're better than ours. And so when we pray, your will be done, we're trusting God to do what is best in any given situation. We're saying, God, if it's best, uh, answer in the way I've requested. If that's the best thing, great, Lord, do that. But if not... If you have a higher way, if you have a better way, a more exalted way, something that fits into your sovereign will, ignore my prayers, change my heart, and accomplish instead your will. Amen. Can you pray that kind of prayer? Do you trust God enough to relinquish your desires in favor of His sovereign will? Even and especially when His sovereign will includes your own suffering. Peter wrote, Therefore, let us who suffer according to God's will... Let me, let, me, let me back up. Therefore, let us who suffer according to God... Some would say that it's never God's will for, your suffer, for you to suffer. Well, Peter would disagree. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Peter recognizes that sometimes suffering is according to God's will. I'm not saying, Peter's not saying that every suffering is God's will for you. Some of them are because of your wrong choices. 
And he calls his readers, in the midst of their suffering, to entrust their souls to their faithful creator, and then continue to do good. Now, to trust God in the midst of suffering, to pray your will will be done, even if it means suffering, uh, that takes faith. Faith that God is uh, the faithful creator, that, that he is true to who he says he is. That he is, that he'll do what he says he will do in your life. We must trust that God truly loves us. That his sovereign will, even his sovereign will for suffering, always includes what is best for his children. And so it's crucial, it's crucial that we never forget that we're praying to our Father in heaven. Tim Keller said this, Unless we are profoundly certain God is our Father, we will never be able to say, Thy will be done. And by Father, he means the good, perfect, flawless, heavenly Father. Not some imitation that maybe we have here on earth. Only if we trust God as Father can we ask for grace to bear our troubles. Are you certain that God is your Father? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you been adopted into His family? Are you certain that God always has your best interests at heart? Can you, in in the midst of difficulty and pain and suffering, can you pray like Jesus? Lord, deliver me from this situation. There is nothing wrong with praying for deliverance. Cause my pain and suffering to cease. I personally hate it, but not my will. Yours be done. Can you pray that prayer and mean it? Jesus faced circumstances uh, far more crushing than any of us will, can ever e- imagine. And yet he prayed for and submitted to his Father's will rather than following his own desires. And because of that, because of that, because of his submission, he, he went ahead and he went to the cross. He died for our sins. He took on the wrath of God that we deserved He made it possible for those who would trust in Him to be saved, to be given uh, eternal life, to be given relationship with God, because He submitted to that sovereign will of God. In calling us to pray, Your will be done, Jesus is not asking us to do something for Him that He hasn't already done for us, under conditions or difficulty beyond our comprehension. Therefore, we can trust Him. We can trust that His will is higher than our will. And we can pray, Our Father in heaven, I trust in You. And I pray that You would answer my prayers wherever possible and overrule my prayers wherever necessary. I pray not that my will be done, but that Your sovereign will be done in my life and the life of others. So praying for God's sovereign will is, is a prayer of faith. It's acknowledging that our Father knows better than we do and desiring for His will over our will. Now let's look at praying for God's moral will. This is different. When we pray your, your moral will be done, we're, praying, uh, we're, we're first praying for ourselves. Like David, we're, we're praying, teach me uh, to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And I I would just pause here and just say this. So we're not going to talk about, I mean, whenever we say God's will, people are expecting a sermon on how to know God's will. 
right? How am I going to pray God's will if I don't know God's will? Let me tell you this. Here's how you, here's how you know God's will. It's in this, verse, in this verse right here, so a mini sermon, side sermon, you want to know God's will, first pray. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on. God, teach me your will and let your spirit lead me. I've got the spirit of God within me. Teach me, let the spirit lead me. We're saying, Father, please work in my life. Give me the knowledge and the power and the strength to obey your will. The way the angels obey your, our Father uh, uh, in heaven. Wait. Your will be done on heaven as in earth, right? Uh, let, let me do your will. Obey you as the angels in heaven do. Help me overcome the, the temptations of this world. Let the Spirit lead me. Give me not only the power to do your will, but also the desire to do your will. Change my heart. The, knowing the will of God comes from a changed heart. Not a, a series of steps of things to do. It comes from a changed heart. Change my heart so that I will love to do your will. Cause the words of, uh, of David to be true about me where he says, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. There's a clue. Another clue to knowing God's will and delighting in God's will. Uh, take the Word of God and put it in your heart. That's the will of God. You know, you, you might want to know what job to take or what, what, what person to marry. You might be thinking in those terms, help, help me to know your will. Well, first of all, I would suggest you know the will of God found in the Word of God. And once you've got that down, and once you're doing it, I, I don't think it'll be very difficult to pick out the right person to marry the right job to take. Help me to do your will flawlessly and to do it with the same fervency and undivided devotion that the angels have. Make my obedience a heavenly obedience. Is that what you want? Are you praying prayers like that? Do you want to obey God's moral will? Then first pray, your will be done in my life. And then pray that God's moral will be done on, on a global scale. Father, cause your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there is nothing but obedience to the will of God. So we're praying that, that, that the earth would be filled with people who do the will of God the way the angels do in heaven. And, and, and we can bring that down to our church, our, our city, our place of work. Father, I pray that your will would be done in my place of work, that people would follow after you, that we, they would trust in you, and they would obey your moral will. We're to pray this prayer for individuals and for groups of people. We're, we're to pray this prayer for, for one another. We're to pray this prayer for our church. We're to pray this prayer for our spouse and for our children. Scriptures teach us to pray for all people, including and maybe especially our leaders. Paul writes to Timothy, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all those, all who are in high positions. There's, there's a special call to pray for, for leaders. And when we pray for all people, for kings and, and presidents and mayors and governors and, and pastors and elders and all who are in high position, I would encourage us to pray first and foremost that they would do the will of God, that thy will be done, your will be done in their lives. You should be praying for me. Because this is a very high position I'm here. You know, you're, 
You should be praying for your elders that we would obey God's will. You should be praying for our president and for our other leaders that they would obey God's will. We as a people spend a lot of time complaining about our leaders. In fact, that seems to be the new national pastime. And I'm not saying there aren't things to complain about, but I am saying that maybe, well, surely we should substitute our complaining uh, for praying. James wrote, you do not have because you do not ask. Maybe you don't have leaders who do the will of God because you don't ask. You don't pray for them. Or put another way, we could say you, you get what you pray for. You get what you pray for. So I'd encourage you as a regular part of your prayers to pray that God's moral will would be done first in your life and then in the lives of others. And then, with all our prayers, to include the acknowledgement that God's sovereign will is better than all of our requests. End every prayer with not my will, but yours be done. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come to you now. We ask that you work in our hearts and our minds. By your Spirit, give us the power and strength to do your will. Give us the desire to do your will like the angels in heaven. And Father, we pray that your will be done throughout the earth. That people in all nations would turn to you and and they would turn to your word. That they would discover your will and they would do it. We also ask for our leaders, our president, our governor, our mayor, and others. We pray that they, as they face big decisions about the direction of our country, our state, and our city, as they face big decisions about their own moral lives, we pray that they would understand and do your will. And Father, as we face all the various difficulties, pain, loss, sickness, and sin of this world, we ask for deliverance. We ask for healing, but Father, we also acknowledge our limitations, our inability to know all of your plans, our inability to know exactly how you're working for our ultimate good. And so in faith, we submit to you and ask, not our will, but yours be done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.